0: great to see you all this morning. How are we doing? It's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? It's been great to be in God's house, worshiping and lifting him up and remembering who we are in Christ. Amen. It's incredible to see uh, how God is, is opening up First Peter in this series that Randy has us in. And I have an honored to be able to go ahead and share with you the next installment in it. But one of the things I'm so appreciating about this series is maybe something you saw on that bumper just a second ago. And that's, that God does his perfect work through imperfect people. Aren't you grateful for that? (laughs) I know I am too, because I certainly am not perfect. And I'm hoping that God can do some awesome work this morning as we open up his scriptures and take a look at his uh, plan for us on how this can happen in our lives. And and really, it is a question that I think, you know, we can ask ourselves and, and, and actually have some answers for. In fact, Peter is answering that question. And one of the ways that he answered it recently, that Randy went over last week, was in verse 21 of chapter 2. And we're just going to look at that real quick again. It says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So God does some of his work, the good work that he has for us, through our suffering. Through those things that we face that are hard and difficult and we don't enjoy. But if we hold on to Him amidst them, and if we keep Him in the center of what we're doing and who we are, then we can see Him take that suffering and use it to grow the kingdom and encourage us and other believers around us. So. I know this holiday weekend, everyone was looking forward to learning about suffering and uh, talking about that. Don't worry, it gets even better. We're going to be talking about suffering in marriage this morning. So you're welcome. Um, We're going to have a good time. It's going to be great. But in all seriousness, I am super excited to dive into this next topic. Because what Peter does unfold is how marriage should happen how it should function. He takes and, and, and outlines and breaks down how wives can be living in, in God-centered, God, God's plan for marriage. And so as we dive into that, I'm gonna also be inserting some verses from Paul's letter to the Ephesians and giving us a picture for really what the husband's role is as well. Because I, I, I really feel like today in this day and age, we are suffering with a crisis in marriage. We're struggling to see what this is. Culture is telling us so many different things of what marriage should be and what we, how it should fill us and how it should work in us. And then we have on the other side of it, we have people who have taken scriptures and misused them to hold them over people in marriage. And we're having people that respond to that as well and say, well, God's view of marriage can't be very good if this is what it is. We have every reason to trust that God, the creator of the universe, who knows us and loves us, created us, established marriage, knows the best way for it to be carried out. And so we have the ability to read this with open hearts, the Holy Spirit alive in us, teaching us the truth that he has for us in the midst of it. And that's what I want to do this morning, is I want to open up the scriptures and ask God to speak to us, to show us his plan for marriage because it's when we unlock that that we're able to really see the power of this institution come alive in our families, in our own lives, in the world, in our community. And even if you're here and you're single, this message isn't something that precludes to you because you have friends who are married, I'm sure. You have people who you need to support who are around you, who are experiencing this relationship. And being able to point them not to culture's answers, but to God's answers for fixing their marriage, or for going through this struggle, is something that is critically important. So let's take a second, and let's dive into this passage in 1 Peter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Let's take a look at the whole thing, and then we'll break it down and go piece by piece. It says, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by, your observing, uh, by observing excuse me your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfu- unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him master. You are her daughters when you do what is right, without fear of your husbands of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So there's a lot for us to unpack here, and we're going to dive right in and take a look at it. It says, in the, as Peter starts off in chapter 3, in the same way. And I always feel like whenever we read Scripture, and we read something like this, and we don't look at what was coming before, we don't serve ourselves well. What we just read a second ago, that verse 21, talking about Jesus' sacrifice for us, Peter goes on to expound on, and he talks about how he gave up everything that he had. He wasn't—he didn't sin, he didn't have anything like that, but he took that on for us so that we would have love, so that we would have hope, so we could have an eternity with him. So he's saying, Peter in here, Wives, accept the authority of your husbands in the same way that Jesus came and accepted God's authority— came to earth and gave himself for us. What he's calling them to is a Christ likeness. It may seem one-sided, but let's not forget this is only half the picture. In Ephesians 5:21, Paul goes on to say, "and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." For wives, this means submit to your husbands as lord, as the, as to the lord, excuse me. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. This is mutual submission out of a reverence for Christ. We don't really talk about reverence that much, do we? We don't really speak about that in our culture. There's not many chances for us to revere things too often. Maybe if you go to like something like the, uh, you know, Washington and you see the monuments that are there, you might have a sense of reverence. I remember going to the Lincoln Memorial and feeling that. It's a sense that this thing that happened was so great that it changes everything for me right now it changes my attitude it changes what i'm doing we need to revere what christ has done for us in the same way so that when i look at my spouse when i look at leanne or when she looks at me we don't see the stupid stuff that we've just done to each other we remember the fact that we have been loved beyond our worth by christ that while we were still enemies with Jesus, he died for us. This is where we find the strength to sacrifice, as Christ sacrificed for the church as husbands and as wives, to honor and revere and respect our husbands as leading in the home. It's a difficult, difficult task, but God understands that this is a key part of us Stepping into his plan and his way of doing it. If we do it well, it's easy. But the reality is, and Peter's pointing this out, even if it's not done well, if we're holding up our end of the bargain and our spouse isn't, we're still responsible to Christ, first and foremost, to be living in marriage the way that he's called us to. We don't get to get off the hook because of their actions. Because our responsibility is first and foremost to him. I told you this was going to be a hard one. (laughs) So why is Peter saying this? Why is God telling us this anyway? This seems unfair. This seems unreasonable. Well, one of the reasons is because we are called to be like Jesus. We are called to live into his example. And what he was called to do for us was not fair for him by any stretch of the imagination. So we have a calling to give up what is rightfully ours for God's glory and for the betterment of our spouse. This is the gift and the picture of sacrifice that exists in marriage. And, by the way, it also has a promise that we'll be able to win them over to Christ. That's the second reason. Honestly, manipulation and coercion seldom are successful. And maybe if they are are successful, they're successful for a time and then they fall off. And you get caught up in it and it makes things worse. But the love of Jesus lived out in your life has an infinite capacity for transformation, not only in your own heart, but in the hearts of the people that are around you. When you respond to that that slight, that jab, that difficult situation, I've told them a thousand times, This is how I care about things. And they still do it this way. When you respond with Christ's love, instead of the expected response, which is, I can't believe it. You know, like, I can't believe what you're doing here. What you're doing is you're showing Jesus in a way that glorifies God and draws them to the cross. And draws them to the person of Jesus. And in doing that, we win them over to God. Because when you see Jesus clearly, when you experience his love in real ways, it's undeniable. It's irresistible. And it's greater than anything we could possibly encounter in this world. We all know that to be true if we're here. And if you're exploring, maybe you haven't found that out yet. But I encourage you to taste and see that God is good. His love for us is good. And what he has for us in marriage is good. Let's continue to read in verses 3 and 4. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of uh, or fancy, uh, fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. You know, culture loves to paint biblical marriage as this muzzling and shunning of the wife, you know, just sending her off into the corner and not having her do anything. This couldn't be further from the truth. What this is talking about is actually really cool because this idea of this gentle and quiet spirit actually tie back to Christ pretty strongly. This word used here for gentle is used to describe Christ on many occasions. In fact, in Matthew 21, 5, it says, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And in Matthew eleven twenty-nine, 29, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And also, the root meaning behind the Greek word used for quiet is peaceful. And we all know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he tells us, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so as we choose to take on Christ's nature in our marriages, when we choose to be a presence, it's it's in this, it's calling wives to be a presence of God's peace and of God's gentleness. It's not that Jesus didn't have something to offer. He was king riding on the donkey. He could have been on a white horse. It would have been fitting. He said, Take my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle. He has something to give. You know, God's calling you to take on the humility of Christ as you love your husbands to Jesus. That's what this is ultimately saying. You have to live into that peace and understand who you are in Christ and allow that confidence that comes from your identity in Jesus to give you the strength not to try to find it in other things. You know, it's unfair how our culture puts an emphasis on women and how they appear. It's all wrapped up into that. We see it everywhere. TV shows, magazines, everything. And it's so easy for women to go ahead and believe it and get caught up in it because it's literally fed to us 24-7. What Peter is saying here is specifically, don't let yourself get caught up in what doesn't matter. The way you look, the way you're perceived by others will never fill you. But who you are in Christ, who you are in Jesus, that's what's really beautiful. And that's what matters. Live into that. Allow that to be your source. And for husbands, we have a role in this too. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. I have a question for you, husbands. Is the way you're loving your life, your wife, excuse me, reminding her of who she is in God? Of who she is to God? Are you, I'm not just talking about telling her when she's trying to find something to wear and she doesn't like anything. Oh, you look fine. I love you for who you are. I'm talking about catching her doing something beautiful that's inside of her that God placed there. And the way that you just did that with that person, you helped them out, that is 100% like what God has put you on this earth to do. You are beautiful, and I love you for that. Wow, the way that you just came over and helped this family by doing this thing, by providing those meals to them. I mean, that's amazing. I love your heart for people. It's it's what I love about you. (laughs) Letting her know That she's beautiful, not just because of how she looks on the outside, because of who she is and who God's made her to be. It's a high calling and a beautiful invitation that Jesus has given us and something that we have to take seriously as husbands. In verses 5 and 6, it says, This is how holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him master. You are her daughters— When you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. You know, we actually know uh, there's a passage where Sarah called Abraham master, and it's where she's listening in private to what God's saying to Abraham about them having Isaac. And she says, I can't believe it. You know, like my master would have, you know, like a son at his age. And she says the same thing of herself. But what's so interesting to me is. In that situation, she's alone. No one's there to hear her except for God, and he does, and he cares, and God cares about how you feel about your spouse, whether it's in private or in public. So it's not just about compliance in what we do and what we say always when we're with our spouse. It's also about how we talk about them when we're not around them. It's also about how we care for them in those quiet places, inside the depths of our hearts, guarding our hearts and making sure that we have a love for our spouse, not giving way to allowing that love to be corrupted by bitterness or frustration. So that was incredible, but I mean, what's most incredible to me about it is the trust that Sarah has to step out and call someone else other than her master right, you know, to be able to do that. In our culture especially, that's really hard. She trusted her husband, absolutely, but I think she also trusted God. You know, in First Peter, after verse 21, it goes on in 23 to say, Jesus, he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. We can trust God. We can trust God when we obey God to work things out. It may not be exactly what we wanted. It may not be the thing that makes us most comfortable. It might include suffering a little bit, but we can trust him to work it together for our good. And so wives, when you honor the authority of your husband, even when you don't necessarily agree with it, God's going to take care of you. He's the guardian of your soul. He's the good shepherd who's going to come along and work with your husband. And keep you in the midst of that time as you show Jesus to him in powerful ways. You know, and Sarah learned this the hard way too. Because she got impatient for God to do what he had promised. And she tried to accomplish what God had promised in her marriage her own way. And she asked her maidservant to go ahead and lie with Abraham and have a son. And that was to be the son of promise. We all know the pain and suffering that came from that, in that story. She learned the hard way that God's plan for marriage is the best plan for marriage. That when we try to usurp it, when we try to shortcut it, when we try to make it better, we end up just making it worse. So Ephesians 5.33 reminds us again the big picture of marriage, and he says, Paul says, So again I say, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Mutual submission through different expressions. Men have a need for respect, and women have a need for love. Me and Liam, when we got married, we got handed a book called Love and Respect, and I'm so glad that we did. Because literally, it changed our mindset from the square one, to helping us to understand what we really were seeking in our relationship together. When Leanne comes to me and talks to me and respects me and and gives me a sense that she sees me for someone who I am, it builds in me such love for her, such love that just overflows into her life. And that love builds a respect in her for me. This is the engine that God has created in marriage to be able to bring us into a place of supporting and encouraging each other and bringing out the best in us as people. But we have no hope of living this out in ourselves. It has to be by God's power and through his spirit. And men, I, wanna, I just want to encourage you and, uh, and just say let's not give our wives cause to doubt God's faithfulness. If they're submitting to us, Let's make sure to love them like Jesus loves the church. And if you're like me, you're going to fail at that. But we're going to try that as hard as we can, too. And with God's help, we're going to be able to do it. Both submitting and sacrificing. Let's make sure that our love for each other is a testament to God's care and concern for each other. In verse 7, Peter almost senses the ways that this verse can be used, and he starts to warn husbands and says, in the same way, you husbands must give, so again, in the same way, hearkening back to wives, hearkening back to Jesus, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. We're to honor, understand, and treat our wives as we should. But what does that look like? Well, I think Ephesians sums it up in the most powerful way that I could even think of summing it up. In 5, verse 28, it says, In the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as they, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. We are to love and understand and be students of our wives the same way we're students of ourselves. We know that when we wake up on a cold morning, what's going to ache and we know how to make it feel better. We know that if we go for a run, we're going to need to make sure we ice ourselves down. We need to make sure that we're caring for our wife's concerns in the same way that we would care for ourselves. And also remember that if we get this wrong, we're not just getting wrong something between our husband and wife. You know, we're not getting something wrong just in the relationship. But we're selling the picture that God wants to give us of who Jesus is with us, his church. We're messing that up. This is what God wants to show. This is the mystery that he wants to proclaim in marriage. And we're not allowing that to be proclaimed in a right way. And that's why God takes it personally. If we don't do this well, our prayers will be hindered. And I don't want to come close to that. So it's so critically important that as we enter into this, we do so ready to be in the game and doing our part. Remember, our wives are equal partners in the gift of God's new life. So what is Peter saying when he calls them weaker? Well, from my study in the Greek here, it's really not a value thing. You know, some women are stronger than some men, sure. Many men are stronger than many women. You know, the strongest man is stronger than the strongest woman. It's just a physical characteristic of who we are as people. You know, another way I've heard it described was from Randy as I was talking through this message a little bit with him, and I thought it was an incredible picture. He said, think of it like a mug and a teacup, right? Which one's stronger? Obviously, the mug is stronger. Which one's more valuable? Oftentimes, the teacup is more valuable. Ultimately, both do the same job, but both serve different purposes and have very different qualities. I know that our society doesn't believe this, I know they don't like to talk about this, but it's still 100% true biblically. Men and women are designed differently. We're designed differently. And we did that, God did that. We didn't do that, God did that because he wanted us to complement each other. When man was alone, it wasn't good. And when Eve was prime to the picture, it was good. So, I've lost my place. <laughs> so practically, these passages represent what God's plan for marriage looks like. In marriage, we have the opportunity to give up our rights for the good of our spouse and the glory of God. From this place of surrender and personal suffering, that god this is the place that God glorifies himself. In our love for each other, and he does his perfect work, through us as imperfect people, because we're ready to give up what's rightfully ours, like Jesus did, for the good of our spouse and for the glory of God. In this picture of marriage, we experience the grand work of God in explicit and powerful ways. You know, I couldn't even begin to explain to you the ways that God has used in to build and grow me to the person that I am today. It's God's gift to me. And I'm so grateful for
1: her. I'm so grateful for what
0: God's done through her. I don't want to squelch her. I don't want to go ahead and, and put her on the back burner. I want to lift her up. And I want to support her and love her the way that Christ does. Because what he's done in my life through her gentle and humble leadership, in our home. As she's come behind me and supported me and lifted my arms at times, as Moses had his arms lifted and held me up, it's such a perfect picture of Christ. And so I want to be a perfect picture of Christ for her. I want to be equally committed to give everything I have so that she can see Jesus and now I love her and love our kids and show up every day. I don't, you can ask her, she'll, she'll admit, I don't. But I do try. And I think she'd also admit that too. That she sees that I'm working towards that. And we can hold each other accountable in the midst of that. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, it's through this institution of marriage that God has given us a vastly important picture of his creation, redemption, and the whole story of God in the church. One day, there's gonna be a marriage supper where we're gonna experience union with God together. This is why marriage is under attack from Satan at every level. He doesn't care what version of marriage that we latch onto. It can be a little bit ours, a little bit cultures, it could be all cultures, it could be a bad version of what's in the scriptures.
1: As long as it's not
0: God's, he's one. Marriage done God's way is a driving force for the kingdom of God and the gospel of Christ. It's an engine for the glory of God and our holiness. All we have to do to break that engine is simply remove God from the mix. Just taint the fuel a little bit. Now I got this Holy Spirit. I don't need you. It's not going to go well. That's why we see marriages failing and falling apart, because we remove God and are placing our plans above His. Marriage built around God completes the picture of the Trinity in our imperfect lives. And He becomes the foundation for creating a picture of God's grace, triumphing over all of the mess through His perfect love in each of our marriages and lives. So just speaking to those single people here for a moment, I just want to say a few things. Just because you aren't married doesn't mean you can't experience the fullness of God's love or his presence in your life. Marriage is the fullest expression of the triune God. That's a word that describes God as a trinity. And a trinity means that God's three people in one. It's a mystery. It's it's an incredible truth that we find in scriptures. And so... We all can reflect God's image as individuals, because God is one. But marriage also allows us to reflect God as three in one, as we include the husband, wife, and Christ. So you are just as called as a single person. You are just as called. And it's just as important for you as it is for a married couple to live into God's purpose and plan for your life. So in closing, I just want to ask you some questions. Whose plan for marriage have you adopted? It doesn't matter if you're married or not in this, because we all have ideas about marriage, and we're all going to be talking to someone who's married at some point, and we're all going to be helping that person work through their life. Is this a culture plan? Is it your plan? Are you willing to trust that the God of the universe might have a better plan for your marriage than you do? and that it actually might leave you more satisfied and more like Jesus than you are with your own plan? Are you willing to suffer and trust that God is going to guard and protect you as you give up what's rightfully yours for his glory and the good of your spouse? Marriage is dying in our world today. Less and less people are getting married. More and more people are pushing it off. They don't see a purpose in it. And it's not because it's not valuable or it's not relevant. It is now more than ever today. It's dying because we've allowed it to be distorted by the lies that culture and the devil would spread. Marriage was never supposed to fulfill our every need. Jesus is supposed to fulfill our every need. And we desperately need marriages that show that to this world. So So I guess I'll I'll leave leave you with this this final question. Will you commit commit to to giving giving God God your marriage and letting him show the light of Jesus through it by living out his plan for marriage? Would you pray pray with me? Jesus, Jesus, we're so grateful that you you have loved us enough to tell us how this thing called marriage is supposed to work. That You've given us a game plan for it. That, that you've cared, cared enough, enough to, 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 to map, map it out. And, and we just need to be willing, each of us, husband and wife in marriage, to, to lay down what's ours as Jesus did and to love each other with the same love that you've given to us. Although you call us to do that in different ways, God, it's, it's still an incredible challenge for both of us. And we can't hope to do it in our own strength. But God, I pray that more of us will be willing to lay down what's ours for our spouses so that our marriages can reflect your glory so clearly that people will see and understand the truth that Jesus is alive, that he's real, that he makes a difference in your life from day to day, and that he has a future and a hope for us. God, we're so grateful for this time. We pray you'd move in it, work in it, And speak to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.